So Tara, here's a question for you. Being a producer and a musician and a DJ and all this cool stuff you do in music, what what kind of like inspirations did you have coming up? Because there are not a ton of super visible women out there. Like how did how were you inspired to go that route? That's a good question. When I was a kid, I've always been into music, just always and forever. I mean, when I played T ball, my dad said if I would hit the ball on the tee, would take me to Kmart and get a record. So I've just <laughs> always, that was what, like five years old. I've just always been into music. Then I was in band. Then I was in like actual like bands in high school. And then, yeah, I just loved music. And I saw the opportunity. When I saw DJs that I liked, I was like, I could do this. Like I, I know what people like. I know what would be cool. And so I just did that, which of course leads to wanting to make your own dance music and, and those sorts of things. So I think it was never just like one thing that inspired me. Well, the one thing being music, I guess, but a lifetime of music things in my life. Yeah, it was what just innate for you, right? It's just yeah. how you've always been. Yeah, yeah, same. I mean, I've always like struggled with the my passion for making music and like my passion for the stage and performing music. Cause I, I had that as well growing up, but I definitely gravitate towards more of the creative process and, and being around surrounded by my machines and my things that make sounds and putting that together. I've always loved that more, but it's weird. Like being a, being a, a young woman in music, people, they just kind of want to force you onto a stage in a sparkly dress behind a microphone. It's like, that's your place. I always get this vibe, like that's a woman's place in music. And I kind of, no, I'm not kind of, I full on reject that. And I think it's, it's kind of unfortunate because there are a lot of women out there kicking a lot of ass behind the scenes, like in production and engineering and things like that. I mean, statistically, the numbers are still very, very, you know, far, but we're out there and it's, it kind of sucks that they don't get the, the attention they deserve because women have, are responsible for some really amazing stuff in music. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that part of it though. How, I mean, do you, one thing for me is that every time I wanted to even just DJ, not even going into the world of making music yet, just DJing, I felt like it was such a boys club. Like I was trying to find my way in and there was mm-hmm. never really an in. And you just have to know the right people to give you that shot or like give you that way in. Did you experience anything like that? Um, Well, the boys club thing, for sure. I've experienced that. And again, when you're working with a group of musicians who are, it's predominantly men, they kind of like push you to the, (laughs) the microphone, the kind of thing, you know, they assume that you're the the singer. Um, Yeah. But I think to like really forge a career making music and and writing, you got to be willing to just like off-road it and sort of do your own thing and find some sort of gnarly, you know, path that no one's ever taken before. Find a back, a back door to get in there. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's almost easier than finding some traditional pathways into the industry for women. Right. And I think we've talked about this before. Well, around production, at least. Everything I've done is pretty much I'm self-taught, number one, because I don't want to ask for help. (laughs) Right. And even when I do ask for help, I feel like I don't get what I'm really looking for in the way of help, unless I ask specifically. But sometimes you don't even know what questions to ask. 
And yeah, you kind of just want to take the projects on, on your own. Yeah. I also feel like there's this pressure to, there's this greater pressure on women to prove yourself. And I don't mean in the normal pay your dues kind of way, because everybody has to do that, but like literally prove that you deserve to exist in this space among us. Yes. And I, I'm yeah. also not willing to play that game. I'm, I want to just, I want to start creating and let that speak for itself. I don't want to have to right. give this whole preamble about why my vagina doesn't deter me from being creative. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Like, you do have to prove yourself before you're really accepted. But you need, we need those people that already have a foot in the door to help make room for those who are underrepresented in the community. Yeah, I think it's up to us, too, to, like, amplify these voices and like shout out these women who have covered a lot of ground and, and, you know, built the way for us to follow. It's important. And I think it really helps to like inspire the next generation. Yeah, exactly. Let's get into some stats around this whole like women in production, women in the field of, of music. I recently just read about a study that the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative did in 2022 They were looking at um, the lag of women and other underrepresented groups behind men as artists, producers, songwriters, engineers, etc. And saw that the problem was pretty severe. So in 2021, the percentage of songwriters that were women hadn't really changed over time. There were about 12.7% of women songwriters evaluated across 10 years that they that they studied and that's only like six that's 6.8 men to every one woman songwriter and then more than half of the songs on the billboard hot 100 year end charts from 2012 to 2021 did not include any women songwriters more than half that's crazy and then for producers women only held 3.9 percent of all producing positions across the songs on those uh, on that uh, 2021 hot 100 year in chart, and the percentage of women producers in 21 increased not very much from 2020 to 2012, did not surpass the seven year high of five percent oh, in 2019. Seven year high of women producers was five percent. That's brutal. <laughs> in 2019, doesn't that make you just want to cry? That's so sad. <sighs> Overall, across a total of 1,522 producing credits in the 10-year sample, 97.2% were men and 2.8% were women. So, but let's go even further to say what of these of this ratio are women of color even even further underrepresented women. Only 10 producers across the decade-spanning sample were women of color. Stop it. We don't even get a, a percent number. It's just I know, 10. 10. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. The ratio of men producers to underrepresented women producers is 148 to 1. That's just gross. <laughs> I know. That's gross. I Why? don't know. Right. I, I might call BS a little bit on that metric. Like, what I want to understand like what it takes to be recognized and included, you know, in, in the math study. here. 
Right. I think that's why I was, I was curious about that too. And I'm wondering if it's more related to those that are recognized on those charts, the billboard charts, not like an mm-hmm. indie producer or things like that, which I do think there's a growing rate of them, but I know there is a problem just outside of this study that I read. Uh, we know just by looking at sample size in our own neighborhoods, right? Like mm-hmm. there are a lot less women producers in Atlanta than there are men and uh, furthermore, with underrepresented groups. But there there are organizations that are working on or doing things to help bridge the gap. Two in particular that I've found um, that are embarking on the journey to increase women in music. One of those being She Is The Music. It's an independent nonprofit org that provides workshops, mentorship, and other, rela- or other resources to serve women interested in music. And the other is called Women Produce Music. Um, they're working to promote and support the activities of music makers, producers, audio engineers, through a series of collaborative projects and initiatives designed to remove the career progression and entry-level barriers, which is really cool. Yeah, that is super cool. Yeah. The latter uh, just created a new initiative called CoLab, which the name suggests basically puts an emerging artist alongside pioneering uh, women in the music industry so that they can collaborate and grow their communities. And the first pioneer in this series is also my first choice in our conversation where we'd like to, you know, highlight some of our favorite producers. Absolutely. I think we should make this, we should return to this topic because there's so many cool women out there who've done cool stuff. Yes, I agree. I'd love to hear who you have to pick. And I know there's so many that I just want to learn more about myself that are, you know, I may know someone, uh, know their music, but I may not know like their background and their influences and things. So I'm excited to learn more. So quick question. You mentioned she is the music. Is that Alicia Keys? Yes, it is Alicia Keys. She is a founding member of She Is The Music. Right on. Okay. I thought that sounded a bit familiar. Yeah. So the first um, pioneer, of course, that they are pairing in this collab initiative from Women Produce Music is Susan Chani. Awesome pick. Love her. Yeah. Pioneer in electronic music, American musician, sound designer, composer, record label executive. She found success in the 70s with her electronic music and sound effects for film and television commercials. And I'll get into her, uh, more of her achievements later, but I kind of just want to dive into her her background because I thought it was really cool and inspiring. So she started playing piano at age six and was classically trained at Wellesley in college. I'm seeing a little bit of a similarity between you two. With your <laughs> She's <laughs> a huger, right? <laughs> <laughs> trained pianist. Um, and then she also first learned about music technology at Massachusetts in- Institute of Technology. Nice. She always said that she felt lucky that she was a woman for this regard because she was never questioned about her her plan to study music. 
um, she was given the freedom to study music. She said if she were male, she would have been forced to study something more serious. Oh, okay. (laughs) Maybe uh, (laughs) like, you know, being a doctor, being a lawyer, something like that. Um, But she was given the freedom to study music because she she felt like that was because she was a woman. Uh, She later went to Berkeley to get her master's in composition, and she met Don Buchla through a friend of her boyfriend's, or maybe I want to say that her boyfriend's contact was like a art professor or something at Berkeley. Don Buchla was also an American pioneer in the field of synthesis, sound synthesis. He popularized the West Coast style of synthesis. He was a co-inventor of the voltage-controlled modular synthesizer, along with Moog, Robert Moog. But of course, they were working separately, so I would like to call them uh, competitors. (laughs) So Buchla assembled his modules into this Buchla modular electronic music system which he began selling commercially in 1966. And his synthesizers experimented with control interfaces like touch-sensitive plates, for example. Chani became a devotee for Buchla, basically. She was working for him, like soldering wires, putting together these synthesizers. She was working for $3 an hour, but she really wanted to buy a Buchla. She was calling Don Buchla the Leonardo da Vinci of instrument design. (laughs) And it's really cool that she found her way into this world of electronic music. I mean, she had already studied a little bit about music technology before. And of course, being a classically trained pianist is kind of a perfect environment to, to really branch out and push yourself to do something totally new. So since she was working for so cheap, so pennies, basically, like $3 an hour, and she really wanted to buy one of those buklas, she was looking for ways that she could make money using her talents. Her, the same guy that introduced her to bukla got her a job composing and producing Macy's commercials. That's great. That's how you do it. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, she got paid pretty well. And that was kind of her first foray into producing something like that. She even took a summer course. I thought this was pretty cool. She took a summer course at Stanford because she'd later moved to New York. She did, by the way, end up buying a Buchla and has used it on many records. Mm. I hope she got but, a discount. I know, right? I hope so too. <laughs> From this guy. Come on. <laughs> she took a summer course in computer music at Stanford University where she was taught by Max Matthews, who is the father of computer music and John Choning and Leland Smith at the Artificial Intelligence Lab. I just think that's really cool. She, she found all these. I've, I just feel like she's in the right place at the right time every time. She's so lucky. Like how cool to have a mentor right? like that in, yeah. in Bukla and these, these other people. Like to be able to work on the machines down to like soldering wires. That's crazy. That's such yeah. that's such amazing level of experience to get. Right. I mean, obviously she's talented too, right? But. She did find herself in these really great moments. So then in 1970, she released her debut album, Voices of Packaged Souls. And that was in collaboration with Harold Paris, who is the same guy who introduced her to Bukla and got her those gigs at Macy's. Man, she's plugged in. Right? (laughs) This guy has been the hookup. 
the whole time. Uh, as she's growing in her career, she ends up doing the electronic music for that movie, The Stepford Wives. Oh, yeah. Which makes so much sense because if you think about how The Stepford Wives, they were like really robotic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the electronic sounds she made sound, made it sound like they were glitching out. She was using different notes and chords to express that there was something really going wrong here, you know? Right, right. And you start to question, like, what's going on? So uh, she also performed as a guest on a lot of different albums in the 70s. Uh, one you might recognize, Starland Vocal Band. They were the ones who did Afternoon Delight. Oh, she yeah. Did the swoosh sound. Skyrockets in flight. Afternoon Delight. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Chani also provided sound effects for Star Wars and other galactic funk, a disco version of Star Wars for A New Hope by Mecco. We've talked about this album before. We have. She's got the most killer resume already. Right? This is still early on in her career. Like, she'd only put out that one debut album so far. <laughs> and then... In 1975, she scored uh, Lloyd Williams' experimental film, Rainbow's Children, and for a 1986 documentary about Mother Teresa. She also composed um, sound logos for Columbia Pictures and Columbia Pictures Television and Atari. Oh, she's a woman after my own heart. I know, right? She's the coolest. This one is really cool, though. Check this out. In 1979, she was commissioned to provide sounds to the pinball machine game Xenon, which featured her own voice through a vocoder. She was the first female voice heard in a pinball game. Classic. That's how I knew her. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. So, of course, she was inducted to the Hall of Fame Pinball Expo Hall of Fame. uh, And she also sampled her own voice onto a sound chip and sold it for use in other applications. Like elevator announcements. And the U.S. federal government actually asked her to design sounds for flight simulators. That's so cool. I love it. So she's, she's found her way with her music and her very niche uh, skill in, with these synthesizers into commercially making herself more viable and more marketable, I guess, money-wise. Yeah, Getting it's, money for what she she likes, but it's not making music, it's... it's designing sound it's funny how you we talk about her as being so niche like in her skill set but the way that skill set opens up such a a breadth of different audio design music related opportunities it's right that's i made that as a note is that she took instruments made to make futuristic sounds and used it to make sounds found in everyone's home on a daily basis like these Atari sounds that she even did a Coke uh, pop and pour sound. So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, these daily objects, but using this machine that not a ton of people know how to use yet, which makes sounds that people would think sound futuristic and it's yeah. Made for everyday sounds. And so here's a woman whose work has touched so many lives in like so mm-hmm. many random ways just in your home and these ads and these commercials and in games and everything. And people probably don't know her name. Not enough people know her name, you know? Yeah. 
she's a big fucking deal and yeah. no one knows her and probably not a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into probably a, a little, let's cover a little bit of that. Like where does she struggle in her career as a woman in the music industry who has found such success in a way? In 1982, she finally releases her first studio album, only saw an initial release in Japan, and she thought that this was likely due to the fact that American labels had difficulty selling an electronic album by a female artist that lacked vocals. So a little bit going back to what you said about how women, it's like the men want to put the women in the front, like they're the singers automatically. Yeah. So... That too. And I'm also annoyed with how much awesome electronic music we just got overlooked and just don't get to experience because they don't think there's an American market for it. And it went straight to no. Japan. Yeah, That's right. Cool. Exactly. Her production process, she says, work intuitively and just enjoy the process. But just to highlight a few, bit, a few more of her um, accomplishments, because already we know a ton but uh, her career has included works with quadraphonic sound. So thinking of like speakers all around four sides. Mm-hmm. She's been nominated for a Grammy Award for Best New Age Album five times. Her success with electronic music has dubbed her the diva of the diode or America's first <laughs> female synth hero. <laughs> That's such a good name. Diva of the diode. Diva of the diode. And over her 40-plus year career, she's released 16 solo albums and several live performances, and some with a bukla. She's been recognized as Keyboard Magazine's New Age Keyboardist of the Year. She's provided the voice and sounds for Bally's Pinball Game, which we've already talked about, Coca-Cola's Pop and Pour Sound, Atari's Sound Logo. She's played concerts all over the globe and carved out a niche as one of the most creatively successful com- female composers in the world. So, yeah, Suzanne Chani is, like I said, a big fucking deal. So She's it's the really real cool. Deal. Yeah. So it's even really, it, that just makes it even cooler that that organization, Women Produce Music, would seek her out to pair with these emerging artists as a pioneer in the music industry. How lucky those emerging artists yeah, seriously. will be. Yeah. That's great. She has like the perfect career. I you know? know. To do so much, yeah. be so prolific, and be so respected in her field, and to just bypass all of the bullshit of fame and celebrity, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, and not be like overexposed and have all this like stupid pressure to like create for the lowest common denominator or whatever. Just just create, you know, freely. Yeah. It's awesome. I much think respect. I read... I forget where I read it, but I know there was something where she had requested the quadraphonic sound at um, a theater in New York, and they denied it to her. So she was like, "Well, I'm not doing it then." <laughs> yeah. So. And when I say when I say bypassing celebrity and fame, not to say that she didn't achieve that and earn it, but right. you know what I mean. You 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 reach this sort of level of just being inflated in the culture, and it becomes like a hindrance. It starts to like break you down and kind of destroy that free spirit creativity you know yeah yeah the, as much as she was she just seems so passionate about making a music career from an early age and then finding her way into something that was super new like the synth and then learning from the ground up basically building the dang synth and then understanding it from inside out 
she had such experience that gave her kind of a leg up on probably a lot of the competition. Yeah, that's that's important too. I think sometimes I feel personally attacked by that too because, (laughs) you know, as musicians, sometimes you're so impatient. You have this idea, you have the sounds in your head, you want to get out. But there's so much value and so much growth available if you take the time to understand the machines and the tech that you're working with, you know? And I always try to challenge myself to like get more into that because that's an important part. That's going to like further unlock your creative capacity. That's true. So maybe I'll get a soldering gun and start, you know, burning stuff down. Yeah. I mean, but also she knew a lot where this is where I struggle is like sometimes music theory, understanding, you know, what chords would go well with these other chords? Are they in the same family? Uh, A lot of that. Getting classically trained and understanding composition and music theory is a whole other game too. So she just was really well prepared to embark on this journey. Good for her. Yeah. So I don't know who else let's, I'm, this is exciting. Let's talk about more female artists or female identifying artists in the field. Well, I've got another female producer who's just a huge, huge deal. And who's also very much known for her proficiency with engineering and mixing and and the technical and scientific side of things. And that is Sylvia Massey. And she is the heavyweight rock and roll and alternative music producer. Um, Not just producer, just all of the things. Engineer. um, She's great mixing. And she's also a best-selling author. So Sylvia Massey, she's probably best known for producing Tool's 1993 debut album, Undertow. which was a really huge deal at the time just for, you know, the, the longevity of, of keeping heavy metal in the mainstream, you know, in the midst of like grunge domination in the early nineties. And that was a triple platinum record. Right. And I remember like being glued to MTV as a kid, I was obsessed. (laughs) This is like a tangent, but I was obsessed with uh, the, the song as well as the video for sober are you familiar with that yeah. tool? So, oh, yeah. and it was that stop motion video. Yes. I love that. I saw them at Lollapalooza in 97. It was awesome. <laughs> I saw them, uh, like three years ago with oh, Primus. Really? Sweet. <laughs> oh, that's a good show. So just a brief origin story on Sylvia Massey. She was born in Flint, Michigan. She recounts the story about how she listened to a yes song. in her youth called South Side of the Sky. And she had this epiphany. She realized that all of the layered vocals in the song were coming from the same person. So that inspired her to start experimenting with two cassette players, like playing sound effects and music out of one and recording them into the other, you know, building up the layers and making her own mixes, which I think is really cool. She didn't even know that was called music production at the time. Actually, hold that thought. Have you done anything like that when you were younger? Like with cassettes? I used to record myself a lot on cassettes. Me too. Yeah. That's like, huh. I guess, a rite of I passage about that. for us. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> the seed was planted. <laughs> That's awesome. She also fronted an all-girl band called Revolver. 
and she produced their demos. Um, and they had quite a bit of underground buzz out in the Bay Area, right? So much so that other bands in the area started to coming started coming to her for help with their material. Wow, that's cool. And like since then, she's just been on this tear, man. She's done a lot of cool things in rock since the '80s. Uh, she co-produced the 1989 album from Bay Area band Sea Hags with Kirk Hammett, the guitarist from Metallica, who was just coming fresh off the release of Master of Puppets which was pretty huge. She moved to LA. She worked at Tower Records on Sunset, which had to be like a dream place to work as a musician during that time. And there she met the members of the band Green Jelly. Formerly, yes. formerly Green Jello, right? And little pig, little pig left me in. I didn't know this. Did I know this? Maybe I didn't know this. I don't know. But fun fact, they changed the name after Kraft Foods put the legal squeeze on them. <laughs> so they had to change from <laughs> Jell-O to Jelly. We all remember that 90s song, Little Big, Little Big. Yeah, I was just going to say, that was another, <laughs> oh God, I love that so much. Another classic <laughs> stop motion video. So yes, of true. course, the connection there we see. And also, maybe I knew this, maybe I didn't. The members, some of the members of Green Jelly, Maynard James Keenan and Danny Carey from Tool were both former members of Green Jelly. And the same director named Fred Sturr created both of those iconic videos. Isn't that cool? Okay, hold on. I had no idea that Maynard Keenan was part of Green Jelly. Excuse me? I think that's even him singing on the Three Little Pigs record. I I mean, his vocals are there. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. (laughs) Wow. So that was the relationship that led to her working with Tool in the future. She was producing, engineering, and mixing at the iconic Larrabee sound for a host of great artists, like from Aerosmith to Prince. And like the Prince thing is really cool. She worked with Prince quite closely. And there's a great interview with her on a YouTube channel called Audio Forum, where she shares kind of the unique workflow that she developed with him. And he must have really trusted her. Like he'd come in, play all of the instruments, get all the pieces down. She'd get it all recorded. And then he'd basically give her instructions and just like leave her to it. Piece it all together in the mix, you know? Wow. And he of trusted course, her. Yeah, right? He didn't And, and really that says trust a lot, a lot about people. her. Right. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. So for Pris to just kind of leave things in your hands a bit, it says a lot about her capabilities, right? Uh, he even yeah. offered her a permanent gig at Paisley Park, which is like, what more, what greater accolade could there be? Prince offered right. me a job. Um, and of course, she's got some fun, the obligatory quirky Prince anecdote as well. So fun interview there. So then she engineered alongside super producer Rick Rubin for his label American Recordings for about seven years. And during that time, I mean, ugh, the list is just insane. Wow. She recorded Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Dang. Slayer. She did System of a Down's debut album. And she did Johnny Cash's Grammy Award-winning album, Unchained. I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So her list of credits is just never ending. She also produced for Red Hot Chili Peppers, Love Roller Coaster, classic. Tom Petty's She's the One, I mentioned him, Power Man 5000, Big Elf, and she even mixed the Beastie Boys Tibetan Freedom Concert. 
Very cool. I'm also, right? well, and there's the Rick Rubin connection there too with the Beastie Boys. Right, right. I, I'm pulling this up on my smart device in the store and I'm seeing also that she worked with Raichi Sakamoto. We've talked she did. About him He's so coming many up times recently. Yeah, I, I was just getting to that because oh, I want to. I want to oh, okay. emphasize that she she didn't just just do rock and roll. Like she's worked across the board. She's worked with Babyface, Big Daddy Kane, the Ghetto Boys, Ryuichi Sakamoto, Seal, Julio Iglesias. So she's a very well rounded professional here. Wow. Yeah. So during the '90s, she had a room in Sound City Studios in Van Nuys before moving to aptly named Weed, California, (laughs) where she built Radio Star Studios, which is just this massive recording campus. And she had a few international hits come out of there, including Spider Bait's version of Black Betty. Remember how big a hit that was? Mm -hmm. And even her gear has its own legacy. So she has this vintage Neve 8038 console occupied Sound City Studios for a while. And and that was used to record other great work from artists like Sheryl Crow, Smashing Pumpkins, Lenny Kravitz, just on and on and on. And I think most recently um, I've seen her pop up in the news a lot for her work in 2019 with Taylor Hawkins. She mixed, yeah, his album with his band, The Coattail Writers, their third album, Get the Money. So there's some really... Really sweet, cool videos of them on YouTube in the studio together. I feel like I've read off like just an encyclopedia of music artists all attached to this one woman. I mean, it's really impressive. Same for Suzanne Chani. It's like these are massive accomplishments and for them to not be household names. But we know Rick Rubin's name, right? Oh, like, right. <laughs> how Burn Rick Rubin. <laughs> it's just... Weird, right? It is weird. It is weird. That someone like Prince would leave you unattended with his music because he trusts you and knows you have the skills and the sound and the ear. And yet she's not a household name. And we know Prince is very, very hands-on. And she says, she's like, Prince is the best engineer I know. Like he he could make it all happen. So it's just just even more telling, you know, how, how great she is. She's cool. I like her. She's very, very quirky. Great interviews. Um, and actually, the thing I like most about her is that she's known for being like a total mad scientist in the studio and having these really out there recording ideas. And she has this book called Recording Unhinged, where she talks a lot about her her experimentation. She also has a YouTube channel that I highly recommend. Lots of quirky, Ooh. interesting educational content. I mean, she tries crazy stuff like running audio through gases or through power drills or driving an amp with potato filters and other vegetables and hot dogs. <laughs> oh, do you know, I've heard, I've heard a clip of the potato filter thing before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a popular Maybe one on TikTok. her channel. <laughs> Recording guitar through a pair of pickles. Um, she also famously recorded a guitar being thrown off of a cliff during a session with a band called Machines of Loving Grace. Oh yeah. Ooh. They have that song on the Crow soundtrack that's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've barely made a dent here with Sylvia Massey, but for anyone who's like an aspiring engineer or if you need strategies on setting up a recording space, just really practical, useful useful information, or you're just into the technical side of music production, I'm telling you, her YouTube, her interviews, her book, it's a treasure trove of just invaluable, actionable information. 
really, really smart woman. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to go and watch her YouTube videos. So yeah, that was, that was really like energizing talking about these two women who have these amazing careers, you know? Yeah. Really inspiring. We should do it again. I think we should too. I'm like, like, it's crazy how they were kind of just doing their own thing and kept finding their way into the next iteration of their careers, but took them all the way. It's really cool. I think it's cool too to see women succeed or, and people in general uh, when you just focus on the work and focus on mm-hmm. perfecting your craft. I feel like this whole concept of building your brand and social media networking, all of this stuff, <laughs> it kind of like causes this layer of static that kind of keeps you f- from doing the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that becomes a priority. How many followers do I have? How many, you know, being so like neurotic about the size of your audience. I don't know. It just feels like a time suck. And it it just, it's not always, it doesn't always pay off, but putting your head down, doing the work, being creative, learning your craft, that always, that's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. You're always going to be good at what you do if you do it that way. But if you're just constantly chasing followers, you leave behind the time to hone your craft or even to learn something new about your craft, which Hopefully, if you are passionate, enjoy what you do, continue pushing yourself and your music further and your skill level, the followers should come, I would hope. Do you ever feel like women who don't lead with their their beauty or their outward presentation, it's it's almost like people think that's weird <laughs> or they they think it's bizarre if you if you try to lead with your talent or the things that you create? Um, I don't know. It seems to be like off-putting to the public in some way that you would want, that you would want to be behind the scenes where the, where the action is happening and and creating things instead of being, putting yourself out there. It's like such a, I mean, come on, it's 2022, but it still seems to be such a shocking concept if a woman just elects. Yeah. Yeah, It's a catch 22 though, because if you put yourself out there, I think people are just going to think, oh, that's just a pretty face. Whereas if you're putting yourself in the background, it's almost like, yeah, people aren't going to It's gonna just take weird. It's perceived Seriously, as weird. Right. Yeah. Right. Catch 22. Just odd You're damned things. if you do, damned if you don't. I know, right? It's just these kind of <laughs> odd, stupid things that women have to deal with. And it's just, it's not that important. It's like, who cares? Just focus on the <laughs> the music or the art. But I feel like it becomes an issue. And I wonder how much of this is even intentional on other people's part. Like, is this some weird built-in misogyny that we don't even know we're doing yeah we're just kind of programmed right to attach to a woman's beauty first and foremost you know we're questioning it's weird or or, yeah it is weird anyway i think we should continue on with this there's tons of women out there um i'm gonna cover all 10 of those women of color we're gonna we're gonna figure out who they are (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna talk about them damn it because they deserve it um, yeah, we're going to represent what's that insane statistic, like 5% of late women producers. We're going to shout them out, whatever that insane single digit is. We are going to take the time to give them their flowers in the record store. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. this initiative. Cool. Oh, yeah, that 5%, the seven year high of 5% in 2019. That's sad. Do you yeah, have a cool. soldering gun? Is that what it's I called? Don't. A gun? <laughs> I, I don't, don't know what it's called. I don't need one though. Like 
I have the tools that I could be using to push myself. And the, these stories are very inspiring. So yeah, hopefully gonna... we're inspiring other people in the store to at least listen and lift these other women up or um, follow their dreams. Or just go out there and start uh, wiring up your mics to cakes and other odd food items and see what <laughs> happens. Experiment. Have a good time. Yeah. But okay, well, I guess we can lock up the store. It's been real. Check the store's website for links to some of the, the things that we've talked about today. It's recordstoresociety.com. Also, come hang out with us in the Discord. Yeah, and share some names of any producers or songwriters, male or female. We love them all. People who just deserve uh, some more attention, and we're happy to shout them out. Yeah, non-binary, black, white, yellow. Green, we're we're all into it, baby. All inclusive. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's sign off. Let's go right. home. Let's go home. Good day in the store. It's nice seeing you. Hope to see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.